0: This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. to another episode of Breaking Labels. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with Teen. It is, we jump right in, right from the get-go, talking about race and emotions and just a few of my favorite uncomfortable conversations. And thankfully, Teen is such a beautiful, wonderful sport and was just ready to go as soon as we hit record. Uh, But before we get into the episode, I did want to remind you or ask two things of you. One, If you have not already, once you listen to this episode... If you love it, I would love for you to leave a review on whatever app that you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you have not subscribed already on that app to this episode or to Breaking Labels, go ahead and do that so that every time there's a new episode, you have it waiting for you in that little podcast app of yours. And then the other thing is if you have not listened to the latest episode or the last episode with Lotus Wilson, then you don't know that she is having an incredible event at the end of this month called Disrupt the Bullshit where it is basically your re- yearly reset. I mean, this is going to refocus you, recalibrate you, and get you ready for the year ahead, hopefully help you break some sab- self-sabotaging patterns along the way. And hey, guess what? Your favorite breathwork facilitator, that's me by the way, is also going to be providing breathwork services during that event. So it is a two-day event, January was it 27th and 28th. I have a link for you to register in the show notes and also to learn more about the event, like I said, if you did not listen to the last episode. But with that, let's get into this episode with team. I am so, so, so excited to have you on Breaking Labels. I feel like this is a long time coming. And I do want to tell people, we've got to like put them in on the secret, that the intro outro music for Breaking Labels was brought to us by teen aka Nick Collins.
1: It was. All right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I listened to your the the first most recent episode the other day and I was listening to it and I had a big old smile on my face because I remember finding the music and sending it to you and how excited you are. You did your little dance thing when you got it. So yeah. I'm not
0: happy if I don't dance.
1: <laughs> That's right. I appreciate that.
0: Well I appreciate the support and you were so encouraging when I started breaking labels and Now you have your own podcast, which we're going to talk about. But like from get-go, you were always so supportive um, and just have always been in so many ways. And that is why, part of the reason I wanted to have you on, because we're going to get right into the uncomfortable stuff. Let's do Um, it. (laughs) So for the listeners, I know Teen because, well, we have mutual friends. Yes, we did grow up in the same town. Well, we went to the same high school. Not at the same time. <laughs> but we had mutual friends and I'm we met.
1: Old. I'm old. <laughs> anyway, that is not what that We means. went to the same high school. We went Sorry. To the same.
0: <laughs> I just remember one time where I mentioned that to somebody when they were like, How do y'all know each other? I said, We went to the same high school. You're like, that's not why we know each other. I said, You're yeah. right, it's not. But I mean, that's kind of where it started, because then years later. Yeah. But um and I met you at a time when I I don't think I consciously realized it. I know I didn't, but I had gone a long time where when I started my professional career and around the time Trayvon Martin was killed, I was kind of having this, uh, I would say, racial awakening where things that I had grown up believing like racism didn't still exist or people weren't blatant about it or, you know, if you just work hard enough, then everything's going to work out and things like that. I was watching unfold and then I also ended up dating somebody who behind closed doors said very very racist things who happened to be white but then in front of people would say all of the right things and I just developed in that time period an unconscious distrust of white men specifically southern white men and I remember this one moment where I was, I was the secretary of this organization, and the president, I would sit next to him, and like, when we'd have meetings, we were on a stage, so I'm watching the group, the, the group of people, and I remember somebody standing up uh, and talking about Trayvon Martin's death, and I just thought, oh, well, of course, everybody's gonna be upset because this little boy was killed, and I'm looking, and I'm watching, you know, one, I'm realizing for the first time how divided the room is, racially, and I'm also watching two very, very different reactions to the death. And how people are responding. And it was just this moment of, I don't, I don't think I realize that this is still so common. And so anyway, I had that distrust, not conscious, but it was very much there. And then meeting you, and I think it was really powerful to know where you grew up, since we did go to the same high school, um, and to know that statistically and stereotypically, you should, in my mind, have been like those guys I watched who were rolling their eyes, who didn't care, were just like, whatever, just another dumb punk who's not on the streets. And that was never never your attitude. And you have such a deep empathic nature, such a, a deep sympathy for people and like other people, regardless of whether or not they're at all like you. And I'm sorry to say, I know this might offend some people, but I just didn't think that there were a lot of white men, especially in my age group, who believed like that genuinely. So that is, that was my, uh, very long intro into why I was so excited to have you on this podcast.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, yeah, let's jump right into the, <laughs> the difficult stuff right off the bat, which I'm more than happy to do. And, and I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate the words about me specifically because that is, that's something that has become increasingly important to me over the years. You know, I, I mean, I, there was A similar, you know, we grew up in a relatively small town. We had one high school. Pretty much everybody knew each other. And I was, you know, shielded from a lot of stuff, and I didn't know uh, the bigger picture in a lot of ways, as most people don't. I mean, Mm -hmm. it happened where we were from. It happens where people are from all over the country and world. And so I don't think we were unique in that way. But I did feel like we came from a place where, like, it just felt like a nice, good place and everybody kind of got along you know I was involved in sports so I was exposed to different things um through sports I guess and I don't know just coming from a family that taught me that just the values of like caring for people and being a good human being and you know holding the door for old people (laughs) which I guess may be discriminatory nowadays because you can't discriminate against age either but when you're a little kid you know all those type of things um but I did start to notice probably when I was still in high school but certainly when I was in college, that race specifically, you know, black and white was something that a lot of people didn't talk about conversationally or at least publicly. But I just started to notice all these things. And and it just, and it was really difficult for me for a long time because I kept thinking like, why are people not like talking about this? Why are people not calling out when they see like just blatant acts of, injustice or discrimination or whatever you want to say. And, and so, yeah, I think it shaped who I've become in a lot of ways, uh, sort of that subject specifically because it was just so frustrating because I had a lot of friends that weren't white Southern men, you know, and I had a lot of friends that were, and I didn't see the world that way, but then I would start to hear more things in different settings. And I'm like, huh, but well, you act this way over <laughs> here but we're sitting here and you think you're safe because I look like you and it's a whole different conversation, which is some of the conversations that you're talking about you that, that started to shape your, you know, your opinion of of people that look like me. So yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's, I appreciate the sentiment because it is very, very important to me and, and I, but it's become something that I'm very comfortable talking about and I think should be talked about if it's, if we feel this way and, and people are going through their life thinking all white men are bad, which some people do think that, you mm-hmm. know, I could be offended by that and I could get angry about that. And sometimes I'm thrown in a pool of people because of the way I look and I understand that. Um, but I think more than that, I want to change that narrative for people. If that, I know that we have, you know, I said it on our own podcast on an early episode. I know that there's a long, violent history of, of white men. I get it. I know that there's been some mistreatment of a lot of different people. I understand that I didn't do that, you know? And so I can have that conversation, but I I also should have the awareness that people have had this cultural experience or Mm -hmm. like, um, ancestral experience, I guess, maybe is the right word. And, and so I get it. And I want to change that narrative. I want to be someone's best experience with someone that looks like me. Like that's what I think we should all do, regardless of how we look or who we are, where we're from.
0: Have you ever had someone, like, blatantly, like, say, like, well, I know because of the way you look the type of person that you must be? Or has it been more subtle?
1: I think it's typically subtle, but there are some gross assumptions that are made. Even still today, I mean, I have a beard. You know, I I look like a country boy, I guess, in some (laughs) ways. I mean, I do my best to look... Like myself, that's always been important too to not look exactly like everybody else that's around. I still wear my sweatpants and flat bill everywhere that I go, which is a little different. Um, but yeah, I, I do look this way and, and I even today, yes, I still hear some pretty pretty serious assumptions like, you know well since we feel this way or you know those they think like this or we think like this, you know I still get looped into that and and I also get it from people that don't look like me it's like we know y'all whatever 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 and and it's not always a negative thing or an aggressive thing but it is just that unconscious implicit bias that you were talking about I mean it's we all have that to some degree you know it's 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 fine it's it's okay to admit that I think and it's better if and when we talk about it instead of just being like oh my gosh I can never say this in that room but when I'm in this room it's okay you know Um, and and I think that's difficult because I also do think we should be afforded privacy. And so we should be able to have conversations when they can be constructive. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that every conversation is right for every setting necessarily. Um, but when I I think when we're intentionally like only saying something to this group of people and not this group of people, then I I, I don't know that that's healthy.
0: Mm -mm. I think it's very common, but. It is, yeah, very much like at some point it's going to come to light. And when you say like implicit bias, that's been a big thing that like kind of like my stump soapbox basically for a long time where it's like people are like, well, I'm not racist. I'm like, you're not, maybe you're not racist, but that doesn't mean you don't have unconscious bias. And if you are so focused on making sure people understand that you're not racist, then by default, you're also probably not looking at all the ways that you are human and you have natural bias, and I would love, at some point, and and I I mean, I understand cancel culture, and I don't mean to say that, like, people shouldn't be held accountable for things, but I have said some dumb things on here, and in life, and it's like, I'm just going to leave it, because at some point, I don't ever want people to think that I come from a perspective of, I know everything, like, I'm going to make errors, and I'm going to correct them as soon as I realize it's an error, please don't ever expect that I won't, like, Because I feel like cancel culture comes from this, like putting people on this pedestal and then say, well, you can't possibly make a mistake. And if you did, then you're done. And it's like, well, damn, I would have been done a real long time ago. Because there's just some things like it's a human you're ignorant to unless you go through it.
1: Yeah. And I think in some ways that probably stunts our growth personally and collectively when that's the sort of the societal norm, I guess, or whatever with the cancel culture. Because then we're less likely to, to speak our mind freely and we're less likely to, likely to engage in conversations like this where we might be getting out of our comfort zone a little bit or talking about something that's pretty difficult and a lot of people have a hard time talking about. But if we don't ever talk about them, are mm-hmm. we ever going to move the needle? Mm-hmm. Right? And so, yeah, I, th- I think that the cancel culture sort of conditions us to do less of these productive and healthy, in my opinion, conversations.
0: Well, and I think if we just accept that people make mistakes and it's, and it's not a matter of what mistake you made, but like, what did you learn from it? Then it, like, again, like you said, it fosters conversations rather than lying, hiding, deleting, cancel, whatever. And it's like, do you, I, I remember there was this one time I was having a conversation with someone, um, a client, uh, and she was saying how she was mad that there was this girl she went to high school with who, when she was in high school, was very racist. And now, like, you know, let's say it was somewhere between eight and 10 years later, she was like, now she's all about woke and woke culture and love. And she's like, I don't buy it. I remember you from high school. And I said, I get the sentiment. But if you compared what I said in high school, when I was living under my mama and daddy's roof and I did not have to live life And I had not been exposed to the things I've been exposed to since you would cancel me too and you would never want to have a conversation with me. Like I had to get to this point by making a lot of mistakes and living life outside my mom and dad's roof just like everybody else does. And I was like, are you the same person you were at that age? And she was like, well, and I was like, I'm just saying, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just making a point like you if you want to hold people to what they said 10 years ago and, and believe that there isn't any possible possibility for evolution, then we are just, I mean, what is the hope of society?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with that. Uh, A couple of experiences of me in high school flashed in my eyes as you were talking about (laughs) that. And so, yeah, without the ability to grow and learn I'd be in a pretty bad place right now. I think, um, Yeah, and and everybody has that. I mean, everybody, we're conditioned by where we're from, the people that we're around when we grow up, and that's no offense to our geography or our family and friends. It's just, you know, you are a product of your environment to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so by that person's perspective, then I can only associate with people that came up in an environment that I already agree with because everybody else that came in a different environment they don't have the ability to grow. They came up there. And so that's their belief. And that's where I'm, I'm stopping them at that point in time and saying, well, sorry, you can't join this conversation because you were here 20 years ago. And that's sort of hard for me to, you know, to get on board with, because again, because I'm thinking of myself, I mean, the things that I've done and said in my life, if our judge solely on a mistake, you know, I mean, I, I'm thinking of a friend of mine that was on our podcast, Lester Young. He spent 27 years in prison, and and he ended up murdering somebody in a in a drug deal gone bad. And he was 19 years old, and and that's what he says. He's like, "Did I mess up? Yeah. Did I need to do the time? Yeah. I paid my time. I did my debt." And he worked his butt off in prison, and he became an entrepreneur and an author and a business owner. And now he has just done a Ted talk, which is incredible. (gasps) Um, but, but he talks about exactly that. What we were just saying, he was like, I'm, I pulled the trigger. I did it. But, but today at 50 years old, I'm not that 19 year old kid. I made a terrible, terrible mistake and I'll regret that for the rest of my life. But that's not who I am. That doesn't define me as a person. And that's an extreme example but I think it illustrates exactly that. I did mm-hmm. plenty of stuff at 19 that I maybe didn't get caught for, or it didn't turn out the way Lester's did, you know? But man, what if I were defined by my worst action when I was 19? Whoa, that's a scary thought.
0: It, oh, it is. And I'm so glad you mentioned, okay, so we're going to go ahead and say now, the the podcast that we're referring to is the Constant Quest podcast. Yes. It is with Teen and Taylor. It is great. And I will say, I mean, I like all your episodes, but that conversation with Lester was probably by far one of my favorite episodes. It is so powerful, so powerful. And I, it's also, I think I loved it so much because it's very much aligned with the conversations I want to have and have had on breaking labels where it's like, you can take this person at this mistake and the what the labels were put on them because of that mistake at 19, or you can look at the person that they are now and see the humanity behind that label. And it was such, it was such a powerful conversation. But to your point, yes, like beautiful that he, he grew and is a different human and beautiful that none of us are the same person, hopefully that we were at 19.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, we have to, man, it's, it should be one long ride. It should be one, one big progression. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get to a point and think I've arrived no matter what. I'm glad to look back and say that in a lot of ways, I'm not the person that I was 20, 15, 10, years, three years ago mm-hmm. I'm not mad at those people that were the former versions of me necessarily but I'm you know but I'm thrilled that I've been able to grow from there mm-hmm. they were learning they were doing the best they could at the time it wasn't malicious you know they made some mistakes the former versions of teen mm-hmm. right <laughs> but I'm probably still gonna make some and so the future version of teen better look back and be able to say the person that's sitting right here talking to you, He grew some from this point forward as well, because that's, if not, man, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm.
0: I will say it's another thing which does also tie into the, you and Taylor having that podcast is one of the things I really appreciated. And again, that you kind of broke my perception of is the fact that I could have very like open, vulnerable conversations with you. You've always been a vulnerable person and you don't really shy away from emotions, which again, not just Southern men, I just would say men in general are not typically um, empowered to do that. And I'm very curious and I really want people to hear your story and why you are like that.
1: <clears throat> yeah, uh, you're right. I, I think that's not very common in men necessarily. Um, it certainly wasn't growing up, but, but yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's, that's something that I've dealt with since I was a small child, honestly, I didn't really know what, what emotions meant when I was young, you know, but I am an emotional person. I'm, I'm driven off of, of emotion. I make decisions off of emotion sometimes more than I should. Uh, I've learned to, to work around that and use it in the most <laughs> productive way, I think, uh, a better way than I used to, but yeah, it's, It is. It's why Taylor and I started the podcast, because I think it's a rarity, but I think it's important um, to have to to be able to emote as a man. I mean, I I think just a minute ago we were talking about Southern white man. That could be a label that that I've felt, but certainly also in addition to that, I think would be the emotional part. And. In having to, quote unquote, break that label to speak to this podcast, it was just like first an awareness of, of being that way. And it, it was so hard for a lot of years to fit in. I'm sorry I'm going all over the place because I'm thinking about several different um, spurs of, of thought. But it was difficult being a child and, and being that way. Like, And, and this isn't like a, we lost a basketball game, so I threw a temper tantrum and pitched a fit. But it might be like we lost a basketball game and my buddy missed the last layup that would have won us the game, then I would go home and stay up all night and cry for my buddy, mm. you know, and, or something like that. Like that's, that's how I would describe it being different than like the raw emotion that you see, like reactionary emotion, but more just like a deep just feel. You said the word empathy earlier, and, and I came to learn that maybe that's what it was. And I know that's a positive trait that I think that we need to work on in life, but it can also feel like a burden mm-hmm. and especially when you're young and you don't even know what those feelings are. And so it would, I mean, I would cry at movies. I would just like spend time in my room thinking about those things. Like the example I just said, and, and, but people didn't seem to understand that. It was like, all right, y'all lost the basketball game. And that was all that it was. And I'm sitting over here thinking about my friend. It's probably bothering me more than it bothered them, you know, in a lot of cases. But I would cry more probably than most people still do if I had to guess. Uh, I try to do that on my own time. Sometimes <laughs> I do it on the podcast. <laughs> I may or may not do it on this podcast. We'll see what happens. I actually did it on the episode of our podcast that you were on. Mm-hmm. I did get emotional about some things. But but, yeah, being a guy, period. I guess I don't even need to say from South Carolina or whatever. I don't need to further qualify. it. But being a guy is very difficult because a lot of other people don't um, don't understand. I mean, it's no fault of anybody else. And, and it's changing now, I think, for the better. But when we were growing up, it, it was also just this negative connotation of, like, rub some dirt on it and get back in there and keep going. Like, mm-hmm. suck it up. And there are certainly still times when people need to suck it up today. I'm not, you know, without a doubt. Uh, it depends on the situation. But, yeah, for me it was real difficult. I don't want to keep, keep going on and on. I mean, you can sort of ask me what you want to ask me. I'm happy to talk about it. But it, it created some, some very difficult times in my life to the point where I was, yeah, I mean, I was severely, severely depressed and isolated myself in a lot of ways. But still tried to put on this face that is the way that I thought everybody knew me and wanted to see me. And, and man, that, that was a recipe for some, some really, really nasty stuff.
0: What kind of nasty stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I guess after high school, get into college, and up until the time of shortly out of college, the same thing. Like, just learning how to – well, prior to learning how, it was just like, I'm like this and I don't want to be like this. Mm. I, I'm emotional – I can't contain it sometimes. I can't control it. Like I could not control it. I tried to reserve those times for when I was by myself, which still sucked, but at least nobody had to see me. And then I had to deal with their reaction, you know? Um, And so, and it was a lot of drinking to mask that and other Mm -hmm. things, which is a very common response to a lot of things because then you don't have to deal with it, Mm -hmm. um, which was nice at times, honestly or at least I viewed it that way because again, I still didn't really know how to deal with it, but I got very, very depressed as, as a result of a lot of that and, and just sort of not knowing who I was or understanding who I was. And, and yeah, I mean, I got to a point, Rosanna, as you know, where I, I didn't really want to go on. I mean, I I don't, this isn't something that I talk about very often um, because I, because it's very serious, it's important to me and serious to me. It's a part of who I am. It's a part of who a lot of people are. Unfortunately, it's a very common story. But yeah, I bottled it all up and I didn't talk to anybody about it for a long, long time. And what sort of triggered it was was a relationship situation that I was in that was also very unhealthy, partly because of my inability to understand and control my emotions and who I was. And, and it sort of developed into this like inferiority complex. And like, I was never going to be good enough. Like, why am I made this way again? This is, this is unique to me because it's me, but it's also not a unique story. This is a common story that a lot of people go through that don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the relationship thing was maybe the trigger, but that almost made it worse in some ways, I think, because the reaction I got from people was like okay y'all broke up or whatever the you know it was unhealthy for a while up until this point but you know it was like okay there's other girls out there or whatever your buddies tell you and they're trying to help i mean it's mm-hmm. it's not their fault to the fault of anybody else but that almost made it worse because i was like okay i get it but also like i'm freaking just dying in here uh, literally just dying inside and i would write I started to write a lot of music and all of it was pretty depressing music. I mean, when people are happy, they go out and hang out with their friends. They don't typically lock themselves in a room and write a song. I mean, there are happy songs out there, but my songs were written when I was not happy. Um, and so that's how I coped with it a lot. Again, I drank a lot, but I, um, the girl that I had been dating, I found out that she was engaged and I had a roommate at the time. And man, if, if it wasn't for her, I don't know that I would be here today. But, uh, when I found out, I told her, I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but like, I have to talk to somebody right now. And I remember we, we were at the house whenever I told her that, but we went and got in my car and drove around. Cause that was when I did most of my best thinking and talking. Sometimes that was also coupled with drinking, which I don't recommend, <laughs> but if I needed to escape, I would go get in my car and I would just drive. And that's. Yeah when I did my, (laughs) my soul searching and thinking and talking to myself and whoever else wanted to listen. Um, so her and I went and drove around and I told her literally everything. I was like, I've been thinking about taking my own life and you know, nobody else knows about it. The relationship that I had, I, I think that I felt like that was the only person that I could talk to about it. And so that's why it's one of the main reasons that it affected me so bad. I mean, also I cared about her and there were relationship type of feelings and things. But I think the overarching theme was that like, I found safety in the fact that I was myself mm. with that person. And I didn't think that I had been or could be myself with anybody else. And so I told my roommate all this. And um, yeah, she made me do two things. She made me write an email to some of my close friends and sort of just be honest with them to some degree. I remember I I wrote this email one time in my own fashion because I'm back to putting on this mask the way that everybody quote unquote wants to see me. And I wrote this email and it had all kind of little sarcastic, funny things in there. And she was like, nah, this isn't, this isn't what we're talking about here. (laughs) She's like, either you can edit it or I'm going to edit it, but we need to get this message across that like, this is serious. The reason they don't know anything is going on is because you're doing shit like this in part, you know? And so anyway, I just really, really appreciate her for that. Yeah. I mean, an angel an absolute angel, um, that, yeah, I probably wouldn't, Things wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for her, and it's just amazing how, as a side note, how people come into your life and different times and come and go, and and that's and that's fine. You know, you feel guilty a lot of times. When it's like, oh, I need to reach out to this person because we used to this or whatever. And I'm just like so content and happy with like her being in my life for the time that she was. You know, not that she's not in my life now. It, it's just that the relationship is different. She's married with three kids, has a beautiful family, lives in a different state. Etc. So we don't have the same relationship we did, but I certainly needed that time for her to be there. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it's just beautiful when that happens like that. Um, so, and then the other thing she wanted me to do was go tell my parents and my family, oh. um, that I had been thinking about taking my own life. And that is, uh, that's pretty difficult to do. Yeah. That's pretty difficult to do. She actually drove me to my hometown, your hometown. Th- oh, Yeah where we went to high school, she drove me down there and dropped me off. And she was like, I'll be back in a few hours. Make sure you take care of what you need to take care of and we'll head on back. And again, I mean, just very selfless of her. And um, yeah, I'm immensely grateful. And I did, I told my parents that was a weird, a weird day, but that day, Rosanna, everything changed the way that I had been thinking thoughts like that for a long time. Mm. prior to that. Um, but I, maybe through music, I would subtly say stuff, but I didn't ever, I didn't ever say it to anybody. I didn't ever talk about it other than the person I was in a relationship with. She knew some, you know, maybe not to the severity, but, um, but she knew. And so that day, everything changed. When I told my parents, my relationship with them had already been good, I'd say perceptively Mm -hmm. and it was good, but I knew that I wasn't really giving everything that I could give to it. I knew that I wasn't being the best son and brother. I knew that I would kind of disappear sometimes because of this, honestly, because of the pressure I put on myself to act a certain way when I was in front of them. Mm -hmm. And, and I came up in a great family, great household. And and I put pressure on myself because of that. I, I, I said well you have to be, like your parents raised you to be this. Well then damn it when I show up I have to be a 10 all the time. And you know that on top of everything else that was going on in my body and my mind it was too much and so I would start to retract and not show up at certain stuff and leave early and again go back and drink and it was just very unhealthy unproductive behavior by that day when I had that conversation with my parents I think they still loved me unconditionally the same way, but it changed things for me. Mm. It it made it look different for me because the cat was out of the bag and it was like, well, I don't have this huge secret anymore that I had, you know? And like, and it wasn't like I could use it in the future as a cop out. I didn't view it like that. Like, Oh, remember I'm going through this thing. So treat me a little better. It wasn't like that, but it was more just like, you know what, this is who I am. And, and it's okay. It's okay to share it. It's okay that, I feel like this. I don't want to feel like this anymore. So I want to actually do something to improve it, you know, and treat it as opposed to ignore it like Mm -hmm. I had been doing. Um, And so, yeah, that 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 specific day, that whole experience with my roommate and my family that sort of started the trajectory shift that would that would then continue to, to go up.
0: What was it like? And maybe you don't know have like a singular moment, but when you started to allow yourself, it's going to sound very cheesy, but to feel your emotions without shame or guilt for having them.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, because yeah, it wasn't like there wasn't one moment. I don't think, because I think it took a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start, you start to uncover things and you make a little bit of progress and you celebrate it, but then you might have to take a couple steps back to take some more steps forward. And, you know, it affected every single aspect of my life. You know, if let's say all of a sudden I woke up and I was completely comfortable with who I was, well, then I go around all the people I have friendships and relationships with and I start acting this in my mind, a completely different version of me that would have been received differently from everyone, my company, my employer, my boss, my friends, everything, every aspect of my life would have been different. So it wasn't like a switch was flipped. It was just in that experience, I started to be comfortable myself with it. Mm. I still wasn't comfortable with sharing it with anyone yet. Um, so that was the beginning of a long, long road. I, I, not to get ahead of myself, but I started to see a therapist a little bit before that time and I saw her every Tuesday at 11 o'clock for almost a decade. And could I have stopped a little bit before that? Maybe, but just to illustrate the amount of time that it takes, that it can take to address things in your life. And, and all of them aren't gigantic or intense like that situation necessarily was. It took us a long time to work through that, but it was just like creating a habit of going Number one, Mm -hmm. I mean, I went and sat in that counselor's room and I was like, you're just here to collect a check. You don't care about me or my life. When I leave, somebody else is coming in. I'm just here because they told me I got to come, you know, and I bet, I don't know the numbers, but a high percentage of people show up to counseling with that attitude. If Mm -hmm. they even show up, a lot of people don't show up because they have that attitude and no one could convince them to go. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's for everybody. In my experience, obviously, it changed my life. I'm now going to school at night to become a therapist. So if you don't think that it affected my life, then you know, <laughs> <laughs> it has in a, in a big way. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a slow progression and it wasn't linear mm-hmm. all the time. You know, it was, uh, let's start to be comfortable with yourself, learn some things, start to make some progress Okay, now I might be comfortable sharing this with a couple people. Well, I might have shared it with somebody that wasn't receptive. So then that's a couple steps back, and it's like, well, damn, maybe I shouldn't have shared it with anyone. And then you Mm -hmm. kind of no, like I'm learning to trust myself. I'm comfortable with who I am. Maybe I don't need that relationship in my life if they can't handle the person that I am, all right? So then you start to think about the value of relationships and what relationships actually bring value to your life. So it's like all these different little steps, and you don't really know at the time. You're just in some ways, walking blindly, but man, the, the, the goal is to walk. Yes. Like you, you just got to walk. I mean, that's it. You, you got to pick yourself up and, and try to put one foot in front of the other. I mean, that's it. Like create some, some forward momentum and yeah, you're going to bump into the wall a little bit and, um, maybe go backwards a little bit, but you'll figure it out. You know, I did uh, mm-hmm. in some ways, I'm still figuring it out. I hope we're always figuring it out. I didn't figure everything out, but I learned a lot. And continue to learn a lot.
0: I love that. When you were talking about how you felt as a kid, I actually don't know if we ever talked about this, but I felt that very deeply because when I was a kid, I had such big emotions and I cried all the time. And it was, even though I was a girl, it was still not a positive. And it was your cry baby. Why do you cry? Why can't you stop? And I would just be like, I don't know. It just keeps coming. (laughs) And, like, I just, I would just, like, I just would, and I remember, like, it took, God, probably to middle school. And I remember being, like, fifth grade, and I broke down in tears about something. And I was like, we can't do this in middle school. Like, this is not allowed. Nobody else is crying like you. You're going to have to figure out a way to stop it. And I would stuff it down, stuff it down. I got better and better. And then it was such a, like, a unraveling in adulthood to realize one you're not wrong for having big emotions you never were but now you're gonna have to figure out how to feel them as an adult and that kind of that stunted growth that happened when you figured out a way to stuff them all the way down we're gonna have to go back to that and we're gonna kind of have to like for me it was like letting a joker out of a box (laughs) where it felt like when I finally did let myself feel emotions, I was just, again, as an adult crying all the time, crying. If I saw a sweet billboard crying, if it was something funny, like just crying, it was, and I had to have like, have some grace with myself and just be like, you're just feeling the shit you hadn't been able to feel for decades.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, as human growth and development, you, 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 stunted your growth in some ways. And then later you have to come back and pick that up and, it's, it sort of reminds me of some of my experience in other countries when you're around cultures that have that have had to witness some terrible, terrible, terrible things as young people, and they are impoverished and have a lot of violence and different things like that. It's like in some ways they grow up really, really fast, but in the emotional ways they never really get there. And so they're 30, 40, 50 years old and, and really have the emotional intelligence of, a 12 year old mm-hmm. and emotional capacity of a 12 year old. And, and it's just really interesting because it's not dissimilar to, you know, that, that example is easier for me to understand because it's just like very real big societal things going on in their country. It's like, Oh, well that makes sense. They had to fend for their life and do all these things. So it made them have to understand life things at an early age, but they missed the rest of that part in a lot of ways and so uh, yeah I mean I can understand what you're talking about
0: when well, I love that you mentioned that too because I feel like and I I encounter this a lot with people who you know being in this field of breath work and coaching and different things like encountering people at different parts of their journey and like knowing when somebody's completely closed down it's like well I've been through some stuff but it didn't matter it didn't affect me I'm good and it's like I hate to break it to you, but it did. (laughs) And you may not want to emotionally connect to it. And I get it because it is not cute when you do. So, you know, don't try if you're not ready, but you, you are not, not human. Right. Like it did. And maybe you have gotten really, really good at stuffing it down. But I would also venture to guess if I watched you... On, on like a reel of your life for two weeks and i don't need any audio if i just watched you i could show you the ways that you are actually holding back the parts of you that need to be expressed felt and emoted but i don't think that's something a lot of people would want like you know it's yeah. like no, no no i'm good um that's that's like this the saying i'm good yeah and it's sometimes i just want to be like but what if you're not and what if that's okay
1: right yeah, and people need to hear that. I mean, a a piece of it is it's hard to help people before they're ready. Mm-hmm. I fell into that category, so I'm not throwing shade at those people. <laughs> you know, there were there were years where I probably needed or you know, could have used therapy or anything, <laughs> but was not receptive to it. And so that's that's a component. But also there needs to be people out there like you that are comfortable seeing that in somebody and having the awareness to know it and understand it. And also having the ability to deliver a message like I think you do. You're just so good at, you're just easy to talk to and and you just sound so genuine because you are not, I'm not saying you sound that way. <laughs> I'm you a good are faker. that way. Yeah. You've been faking it. Well, you are that way. And so, yeah, it, I mean, I would still encourage you, although I think you need to meet people where they are sometimes, I would Mm -hmm. still encourage you to walk up to somebody and say, what if you're not okay? And that's all right. Mm -hmm. Because some people need to hear it and it may be when you say it that it actually hits home for them. You never know when you can make that type of impact on somebody's life. I mean, it's crazy. You think back over your life, some of these, I always call them trajectory shifts. Some of them are steeper than others, but where it sort of redirects the way that your life is going. Again, Mm -hmm. some of them are big, but some of them are tiny, but they're all necessary Mm -hmm. and they're all important. And some of the ones in my life, again, are people that were in my life for this small amount of time, or maybe even a complete stranger when I was in a place where I was vulnerable and open to receiving it, you know, and it doesn't mean that my parents weren't doing a good enough job or my friends or whatever, but it's just it's just human nature. It is what it is, you know. Um, but yeah, it can be all these things. And so we can also be that person for someone else. And I'm very mindful of that and conscious of that when I interact with people. Not that I'm like, did I fix your life by this one little <laughs> thing I asked you or anything like that. But just knowing that, that the power and the magnitude, that interactions, simple little day-to-day mundane interactions with people, the impact that can have on your life is just... It's, it's immeasurable.
0: When I'm curious, like, I mean, it's, it's so amazing just to hear you talk about this because I can also hear what you've been going through from going to not school, like the, like just the way you speak about it is so, it's wonderful, but I also, I have to know, I mean, I kind of know, but I want to know the details. Like at what point, cause I just have to say this, at what point did you go from wanting to sell pop? To be a therapist. Yeah. Pipe. Pipe. Sorry for my accent. Pipe. That just came down.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of people in my industry that call it pipe.
0: <laughs> I bet. Bunch of good
1: old Southerners in my industry. <laughs> a lot of pipe. But yes, that's a good question. I think that, again, I, well, part of it goes back to that under like the the therapeutic process that Mm. I went through when I started seeing a counselor. Had I not gone through that, even though that wasn't the reason I was going there, would I be in this position now? Probably not. I mean, obviously not specifically because the trade of being a counselor is what I'm pursuing. So had I not had the experience, I wouldn't, but I don't know. I think that a lot of times we graduate from school If we graduate from school or we get out of high school or we get our GED or whatever happens to us in that 17 to 23 or four age group, we get out and we get a job and we start, if we're lucky historically, we start a career Mm. and that's a great thing. I'm not here to say that's a bad thing because A lot of people don't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so, man, what an incredible opportunity if you can get a job, become employed and stay employed for the rest of your career. And you have security for yourself and your family and others. That's a beautiful thing. But (laughs) I do also think that that's what we've been conditioned with in a lot of ways. And so we start down that road and we just close our eyes and keep trucking until they hand us our little retirement plaque and they say, thanks for your service 20 something years later, or however long you do it for 30 something. Um, so I was on that track. I didn't choose to sell pipe. I didn't, I, I didn't grow up thinking how cool it would be <laughs> to be a pipe and valve salesman, you know, but I had a family friend that needed some help. Actually, I the a couple weeks after I graduated college, I went and worked for him. I was sweeping his warehouse floor and I did that for a while and I woke up one day and I was 35 years old and I never made one single decision for my professional future. I held different roles. I, I moved up. I progressed mm. from the outside looking in. I'm living the dream and it was great in so many ways but I never one time looked at myself in the mirror. and was like, Hey man, what do you want to do Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life or with your life? What do you want to do? I never one time did. I was like, well, this job came open. They told me to put in for it. I put in for it. I got it. So now I got a new role. Okay. Which was still scary because change is scary, but I never one time actually looked at myself and was like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And so I guess that kind of started to happen in my thirties. Probably. I don't know if that's early or late or right on time, but I'll say this whenever it happens to you, it's right on time because it's when it's happening to you and it's right. It doesn't matter. You don't need to think about it. Like, Oh, well, I missed my shot. Mm-hmm. What if I was like, you know what? Missed my shot. Well then, then what? You're just never going to do it and you're going to die. I mean,
0: that's not an alternative. I want.
1: Yeah, exactly. And And I'm not saying that the route I want to take is for everybody again. I mean, I, I I want to say how fortunate that I was because I was, but I finally started to have some awareness. The therapeutic process probably helped a lot with that started to read, learn, listen, understand myself and others and the impact that I could have on others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want that to sound like a bragging type of comment or whatever, but like you, everyone has you know, this toolkit of stuff. We all have our own different skills and attributes and qualities and, and deficiencies <laughs> of which I have plenty. And just like everybody else does, you know, but, but it's important to be aware. I mean, being humble is one thing, but it's also important to be aware of what you have and how you affect people and what you're good at and what you love, mm-hmm. and what brings you joy. All those things are so important. I never considered any of those things for a career, I would try to escape my career and then go get all those things, mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So yeah, I, I ended up landing on counseling. It was very hard. It took, I'd say I talked to my therapist about it for probably six years, honestly, Rosanna, which is absurd when I say it out loud. Cause now I'm so willing to like try anything tomorrow. You are. And, <laughs> um, but it was just the, the fear of uncertainty and mm-hmm. change and, you know, and, and and it's, um, dang, my buddy is going to kill me because I've mentioned this so many times I can never think of the term. It's the, uh, I have to look it up because <laughs> I, I cannot butcher this one more time. My buddy will kill me. I've mentioned it like four times on our podcast, the region beta paradox, which oh. is basically where the idea is basically like, if something's terrible, you would change the course. Mm-hmm. If something's just kind of bad but not bad enough. You just keep on doing it on and on and on and on. Right? Yes. I used the metaphor of a yes. frog in the bowl water <sighs> yeah. recently. And I'll just say that real quick for the sake of this. But if you have a pot of water and you put a frog in it and it's boiling, it will jump right back out. If you put a frog in the water and it's just lukewarm, but you turn it up one degree by one degree by one degree, the frog will die in the water because mm-hmm. he'll never know to get out. Yep. And so that sort of illustrates what that is. And that's, that's how a lot of people are professionally. I think that's, that's how I was for a while. Like my coworkers were great. Mm-hmm. My pay was pretty good. My benefits were good. My flexibility was good. Mm-hmm. Like everything actually that a corporate job can give you were good, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, so why would I change? Oh. Right. And you know, I mean, I know that you know, and so you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And it's like, but something is missing. Mm-hmm. Something's missing in here. And um, uh, so that's why it probably took six years worth of me talking about therapists about like, I gotta do something different because this isn't me. This mm-hmm. isn't this isn't how do I say it? Because I could be myself in my role, mm-hmm. undoubtedly, I could be myself and bring something to the table, but this isn't me exercising everything that I have to offer. This isn't me tapping into what I believe to be more of my potential, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's when that shift started to happen, probably in my early to mid thirties, and I started going to school when I was forty years old uh, to get my master's to become a therapist.
0: Oh, I love that. I also what is it called? Region beta? What?
1: Region beta paradox.
0: Region beta. I've never heard that term, but yeah. man, is it true? And I see it all the time, all the time, I've seen it, because I lived it, where it was like, I don't like this, but it checks enough boxes, and it gives me something to focus on, like for me, it was my quota, it was beating that, it was trying to get on stage to be seen, to be acknowledged, and I could focus on that, and enough that I could ignore that voice, I was like, I don't really want to be doing this, I want to do something else. And I just kept pushing that and pushing that and pushing it. And then at some point it was just like, well, for me, I know what it, I, I had to get to. And I don't know why, but I just, I had to get to a six figure mark. And I, when I hit that, I was like, and I don't like what I'm doing. And I don't want to be making six figures doing this. And I finally was like, okay, you did it. This thing that you've been grinding for and grinding for and grinding for, you got it. And it was cool. I went and I told my roommate, I was like, I'm getting a raise. And I called my parents and like an hour later it was like, shit, that's it. I haven't worked all these years and it's, the good feeling was just as fleeting at 90 seconds for an emotion or a feeling to go through your body. And it was like, well, dang, I thought it was going to feel great for weeks and it doesn't. It's not yeah. sustainable.
1: You thought probably for more than weeks, like you thought this is going to change everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it speaks to me. Uh, I mean, I get it. <clears throat> it's interesting. And, and you, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about the parable of the Mexican fishermen, but it's like, oh. we, we do all these things to get to this point point to realize that, that we were as Taylor, my podcast host, as Taylor always calls it, we were whole. We were already whole mm-hmm. the whole time. It took us to go on to do all this other shit to realize it. And maybe that's necessary, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe you do have to step away to realize the grass isn't always greener or whatever. But uh, yeah, what if we were whole the whole time and we could be ourselves the whole time? We were whatever lot of stuff we were given. We were given enough to be ourselves, and that's and that's plenty. Yeah, that's a novel idea. I didn't know that until I was now. Mm-hmm. 38 40 years old you know? I was today years old. I was old. today years old yeah <laughs> and then yeah
0: I love that but it is so true and it's I will say and I again it's one of those times where I feel like I have to just hold back and just like you know meet people where they are but like and I think I mentioned this when I was on your podcast but like when I was driving for Lyft and I would ask people what do you do okay and they tell me and I'm like do you like it and I would just, and I can't see them cause I'm driving, but I hear somebody do a, well, you know, it, uh, I make good money and you know, it does this and they're che- telling me all the boxes it checks. And I would always think, are you trying to convince me or yourself? Because I already know, honey. Yep. But I know as soon as you took that, that big old deep breath and you gave me your elevator pitch. That you are not happy and this is not what you want to be doing. But again, like that that paradox, it's uncomfortable, but it's good enough. And I just wish, like sometimes I want to shake people and be like, just because it's been good enough to this point does not mean it has to be good enough forever.
1: That's right. And
0: it does not mean that you can't change and it doesn't have to, you don't have to, like, like I told you earlier, you don't have to skydive and jump off a cliff like I did. They can do like you, where you're working and you're doing night school. Like, it does not have to be all or nothing. It does not have to be this, like, this humongous life change overnight. But I promise you, you are going to feel so much happier and satisfied with your life if you're at least working towards something that you don't have to do a big inhale to convince other people that you're happy enough.
1: Agreed. If I'm in the back of your lift, and you ask me what I want to do, I can't wait till the day that I can say, man, let me tell you about what I do every day. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think I would do that today, and no offense to my job, because I love them, mm-hmm. but I would talk about several other things in my life, personal projects that I'm working on that are mine, that that make me feel fulfilled. I would be excited to tell you about a lot of those. And that that helped with that shift to... To think that, oh, maybe I could actually also get paid to do something else instead of feeling like I'm at work and then I get to go do these things that bring me joy. It's like, man, how about I just become a joyful person and live a joyous life and a grateful life and a life in pursuit of, of the things that bring you all that. You know? mm-hmm. I heard you say something the other day. I don't know if it was something you posted or if you said it yourself, but and help me if I mess it up, but you were basically talking about how you were in a job, you knew you wanted to do something different, but you felt like you had to get as good as you could be at this job before you left. And that, man, that just really struck a chord with me because I thought about I've thought about that a lot of times. It's like, well, like I'm in my current role. I'm pretty good at it. I'm all right at it. But I'm not the best at it, mm-hmm. and I know that. And I don't deserve to be the best because I don't put in the best time and effort and energy. I mean, that's the truth. Because I value other things in my life, some people must value those things less because they put in all the time and energy and effort. And I'm not making fun of them. That's great. I hope that they're fulfilled doing that. But I, I'll look at that and be like, I could do that. Like, I know that I could do that and be that. And so I started for a while, I think that I felt what you were talking about. I didn't really realize it, but it was like, I can't move on to something else. I ain't even the best at this, Mm -hmm. but what I'm going to do is completely different than this. So it doesn't even matter if I'm the bottom of the barrel at this, like maybe (laughs) it doesn't matter at all what I am at this because I'm meant for something way different. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. You said way different instead of way better. Cause I feel like sometimes people get so much guilt and they're like, I don't want to put down. You're not, you don't, well, and I what is better? That, right. How about just what is better for you, but that doesn't mean that it's, well, no, because then you're still doing the better. So what is different? What is going to, like, you're going to be excited to get up out of bed. And I, I posted um, something about emotional neglect yesterday, and then I put something, oh, I know what it was. I put it on my story. I was joking about something, but it was kind of like tongue-in-cheek where it was like, I know what it was. Somebody, there was a meme about like, um, so is everybody just putting their phone on DND, do not disturb now, like, or am I tripping? And I was like, I've been putting my phone on DND for years because I worked in a job, and I was joking about this with Taylor the other day. Like, if you're looking at a job uh, like description, it's like fast-paced environment, competing deadlines. It's like, guess what? You're gonna be stressed the <laughs> fuck out. Yep. And I was like, I had a job like that. And every day I would wake up and my body would be in fight or flight because I was, there was pings and emails and dings and text messages and all these things. So I had to put my phone on do not disturb just so when I woke up, I was not being bombarded with notifications. And anyway, so I put that and then somebody I used to work with was like, I think I know what you're talking about because I am currently in the thick of end of year stuff and I don't want to get out of my bed. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's a tough place to be. So tough. And for me, like, no matter what I do, I don't, if it's something I can't be the best, like when I would do Spartan races, I was like, I'm not trying to place. Like, I am literally proud of myself for finishing. But if it is something where I'm like, like when I was in outside sales, I'm like, it's so easy for me to talk to people. It doesn't make sense for me to not be the best at it because it's all I've ever been good at was talking to people. So it was like, okay, I have got to be number one. And once I accomplish that, then I can focus on purpose and all that other good stuff. And it's like, you are in a race you don't even want to be in. Yep. Not really. Mm-hmm. Trying to finish first. And the irony is you probably won't. Or if you do, you're going to get so beat up and banged up. That it's going to be like, well, now you're out for a while. <laughs> yep. And was it really worth it? And I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of burnout when people get so out that they have no choice but to leave where they're at and seek something else. And I, to me, it's just like, well, that is just universe. God, whoever being like, I don't want you running this race anymore. Can you stop? Can you get out of this race now? Stop doing this to yourself.
1: Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately it takes something like that to, to make the move for a lot of people. You know, we've made it in our country, in our society and culture, we've made it pretty difficult to pivot and go try something different. And if it doesn't work, come back, you know. I had a conversation this week and have had several with with people, my superiors in my company, and um, over the last several months. But I had a conversation this week with a guy, and he was like, And I just want you to know on a personal level that like, I hope you're the most successful therapist that ever walks the face of the earth, if that's what you want, but whatever you want, I want that for you. And if you get this wild hair and you just really, really have an itch to come back and sell pipe again, then you got to place hair whenever you want it. And I mean, I almost got emotional when he told me that because I was like, man, I don't want to just give you the like, I appreciate it, man. Cool. We'll talk to you later thing. I was like, you don't understand how much that means to me because I don't think that's the norm.
0: Mm -mm.
1: And I mean, how impactful that was on me. Like, it's just, but that's the importance of treating people. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but like, man, that just meant so much to me. And it validated for me why I get up. And walk into the world the way that I do. Mm-hmm.
0: That is a great transition into. Tell me why you and Taylor started the Constant Quest podcast.
1: Okay, yeah, that's. I appreciate it. I love talking about this and and being a fellow podcaster. Can I first say this real quick on your podcast because yeah. I had Rosanna on my hour, Taylor, in my podcast, the Constant Quest podcast. And I told her then that I wanted to be a guest on her podcast for a long time, but then she shifted and made one all about women and <laughs> by default, I didn't qualify and I was like, I had to come I had to create my own podcast just to be able to do a podcast episode with Rosanna. So I did that. but <laughs> here we are I'm finally on your podcast.
0: I'm glad. I'm glad I've shifted to women, so constant quest could happen. That's right. I mean, that was a very egotistical statement. I'm just making. No, but (laughs) I
1: mean seriously. You know, I talked to you a lot, Rosanna, when you were starting your podcast, and I just and I remember recognizing some of the like discomfort and uncertainty and fear that I'm feeling about a lot of things that I'm doing in my life currently. And but but you really were a big inspiration for it because just kind of like watching you go through the process and it took you a while too. I think you would say, I remember you telling me you bought a mic. Three years. <laughs> yeah, Three years. You bought a mic, but you, like I told you, man, you you don't have to be going in the right direction. You just have to be going. You just got to be creating that momentum. It's going to catch on at some point yeah. <laughs> and you hit your stride eventually. But, but you are, you were a big inspiration for me in general. It made me think like, man, this is such a cool medium to be able to talk about things that are important. And again, talking about me being an emotional person, I love having these conversations. And a lot of times I'm around people that don't necessarily love having these conversations. So to see you create a platform where you could do that, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was awesome. And I loved watching that and listening to your episodes and hearing the stories of other people that I otherwise never would have heard. Mm -hmm. And, And so, yeah, that always kind of put a little bug in my ear about doing a podcast in general. And so I never could really land on, I'm the most indecisive person. So I could never land on like what would work. And I talked myself out of it for Mm -hmm. probably years also, (laughs) but it was actually a school assignment that I had. One of the first classes I took in this master's program, we had to record like 15 or 20 minute, um, mock sessions, I guess, and we had no skills at this point. This was like the first semester of school, and they're like, just get comfortable, talk like, first, just go talk to another human and record it and just see if you can literally have a conversation with another person. And so I called Taylor because he and I had had some good, we'd been on hikes and stuff together where we wound up solving a good chunk of the world's problems in three or four or five miles. And <laughs> I thought, man. Let me, let me go. So I, I rode up to Charlotte and met up with Taylor and we talked for probably an hour and a half. And the assignment was like a 20 minute little thing. I was like, Dude, my battery's about to die on my laptop and I got to get back, you know, all this stuff. But anyway, we kind of finished that up and we're like, it was, it was so easy. And it always has been with he and I, and we see the world similarly enough to where we're just excited to learn about what each other's thinking, what other people are thinking what's new, you know, and so we ended up deciding to revolve it around personal growth because that's something that's very important to both of us and not like burnout type of personal growth where you do as much as you can, Mm -hmm. but just like, how do we become the best versions of ourselves that we can be? How do we impact those around us in good, healthy, positive ways that we can, you know, without negatively impacting ourselves? And yeah, I mean, how do we just continue to strive to make the world a better place. I mean, that's the way that I say it because yeah, I mean, somebody has got to move the needle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we may as well, we may as well do our part. I guess I felt like there's just a lot of things that we think that, that were important to share. So we started doing it. Our first episode, we recorded in a little mountain cabin in North Georgia. We, we didn't know anything about anything. We had a GoPro on a little (laughs) setting up on a shoebox or something shooting us because i wanted to do video that was important to me because i was going to put them all on youtube and Mm -hmm. we i don't want to let the cat out of the bag we just hit one year next week i think one year in i still haven't put a single one on youtube but i'm (laughs) but i'm getting there (laughs) 2024 has a lot in store but that's not critical for a podcast the audio has been out pretty much consistently every other week for almost a year but we had a little broken down, wrinkled up sheet of paper and a crayon that we found in the drawer of this rental cabin <laughs> and so we, and we were like what do we say? Like we don't even know what to do we didn't have a microphone the computer wouldn't work right so we literally had an iPhone that we put a voice memo on set it in between us scratched out three or four things on a crayon that we wanted to hit we hit them all in like the first 30 seconds because <laughs> we are just like nervous talking you know <laughs> And we recorded our first episode, episode zero. He always gives me a bunch of crap for calling it episode zero. I know this is a tangent, but really. you'll like it just because some podcasts have started on episode zero instead of episode one. But he doesn't, I don't even think he knows this to this day. But I had in the back of my mind that the first episode is going to be so terrible <laughs> because we have no idea what we're doing. That, that way, if we start on episode zero, we can just delete it at some point and then we start it on episode one. Because if we started with That's one and it was terrible. Smart. you know, yeah. So that was actually in the back of my mind the whole time. But we never deleted it. It's still out there if you want to go hear a bad podcast. If you're interested in starting your own podcast and you think it's going to be terrible, go listen to our episode zero <laughs> and you'll be full of confidence. You can go create your own masterpiece and it'll sound at least as good, if not better than that. that. <laughs> so that was the birth of the Cosmic Quest podcast.
0: Oh, I love it. And I, I mean, listen, I feel like that especially given that the theme and the like heart behind Constant Quest is personal growth. I mean, it's pretty much shown in the fact that y'all just started messy as hell with a crayon. And is that not personal growth? Like you start where you are with what you have available to you and you just keep going. Absolutely. Just keep taking steps. Sometimes you're going to trip and fall on your face. That's okay. You don't get back up. And I mean, now look at you. Like, I want everybody to know because you will see like when I post clips, but like all this uh, fancy equipment that we are using right now to record breaking labels, you're never going to see again. Well, not for a while until I invest it because it's all teams. (laughs) So you went from an iPhone voice note to this very, very um, professional setup. I mean, look at you. You're moving on up.
1: Moving on up.
0: I'm so proud.
1: Yep. It's crazy. It really is crazy, man. Uh, I mean, you, yeah, like I said, you were a big inspiration, but you were our, I think, wound up being our second guest or so. But we had talked about having you on there and the way scheduling worked out. You were, I think, maybe the seventh or eighth episode, but our second guest that we had on there early on. So, uh, yeah, we got to do it. And we've, yeah, equipment-wise, we've come a ways from there. Mm -hmm. And and it does so many things for you. I think, I mean, I'd imagine you probably have a similar experience and we don't have to keep talking about this if you don't want to, but I do, but it just, the podcast is cool. We love it. I I love it. I don't want to speak for Taylor, but we get a lot out of it Mm -hmm. ourselves, which is enough right there. So period, you could cut it off and nothing else matters after that. It's, it's a pretty low cost venture. Mm -hmm. This is a nice setup, but it's still in the scheme of things, pretty inexpensive. And man, the conversations that we've had with people like yourself and so many other different types of people, like what I've learned is crazy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but also just like the confidence that I have now to be able to sit down and talk to you. Like the first probably eight or 10 episodes we recorded, I'm sitting in the chair, like <laughs> scared to death. Like, I don't know what to say next. I don't know how to act, but now I walk into other it, it's transferable skills, right? To other parts of my life. I can walk into other rooms and feel comfortable. I can lead the conversation because now I, but I could also be, you know, an interviewee and an interviewer. I can do both, I think, but all because of like just us exploring and figuring this out for ourselves, but it's just transferred over to so many parts of my life and my, and it's enriched my life in a big, big way. And all that to be said, I still, I haven't mentioned money. I haven't mentioned followers. I haven't mentioned anything like that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those things will take care of themselves. But that's not the initial purpose. Of course, all that's nice. And 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 if you do feel like you have a good product, then you won't reach, Mm -hmm. right? You want exposure because you want people to be able to listen to it. If it is valuable, we want people to find value in it. Right. Right. But the driver has never been that. And I know it wasn't for you either. It's more Mm -hmm. about like, I'm passionate about this. I get value of it out of it. And there's a lot of people's stories that deserve to be told. We all have a story. And you've had some amazing stories on both of your podcasts, amazing people, as have we, you know, and just just that by itself has been such a rich experience.
0: I created a real one, and I don't remember what conversation it was, but I got off of this interview with someone, and I was like, I don't know that I would have had to have had half, been able to have had half the conversations I've been able to if it weren't for this podcast, and this, like, what it has brought to my life. And, and to your point, like... And I just feel like anytime you can do something and you feel better afterwards, not drain, not bitter, not like, Ugh, but you actually feel like, wow, I am better for that experience. Do more of it, whatever it is. And I just, same thing. And I, I, I have taken a hiatus for sure. Cause I had a lot of things going on where I was just like, I cannot, I've just, didn't want to try to be perfect at something. And then it, when I was ready, I was like, okay, I can't wait to have those conversations. And that was really what it was, is I missed the conversations. I missed them. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I missed the money, from because I don't make money from it. Not at this point, but I certainly feel just all around better in life after the conversations, always.
1: I agree 100%. I remember, I think it was before you ever even drove for a lift. I could remember you being like, I just want to drive people around and have conversations with them. <laughs> like, I mean, that really was something that you just genuinely wanted to do because you're great at it and you just love listening and learning. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, and you did it, you know, and also props to you for coming back. You, Well, props to you, number one, for taking a break. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of people would have pushed through and probably put out not great product. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't have been your best self and your interviews would have been different because you would have been struggling and stretched. So props to you for taking a break. And then also props to you for letting it be imperfect and coming back when you're ready to come back. Because Mm -hmm. I think some versions of me, hopefully not current me, but some versions of me would have been like, well, dude, I can't come back now. And I took a year off. What are people going to think? Whatever. Like, who cares? (laughs) You know, if you have some value to put into the world, put it into the world, man, it needs stuff like that.
0: It does. It does. And I will say, that's one thing I really appreciate your podcast about because again going back to stereotypes like when you tell me two men have a personal growth podcast I have a very very different impression and assumption of what it's going to be like than what you and Taylor have like I would compare it to the stereotype like the assumption or the like stereotype would be like two bros talking about strategy, and pushing through, and hustle culture, and grind culture, and then there's you and Taylor, (laughs) which when I listen to it, and I I just had the visual of it when you were talking a little while ago, when you, it was the hype, when you mentioned that, and I was like, that's how it feels like when I listen to your podcast, it feels like we're just on a walk, and we're talking about it, and it feels as easy and natural as talking to somebody on a walk, not like this, here's five steps to do it right now, it's like, just this unfolding of a conversation in a very natural, easy, easy to digest way. And it feels even in how you guys do the podcast, it is very true to who both of you are.
1: I really appreciate that. Yeah. I take that as a huge compliment. Um, yeah. And it's, it's authentic. I I mean, I can say that that's, I've done a lot of different things and they always talk about what are your values, what are your core values and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and it's for your business or your, whatever your are guess on all those, they, a lot of them are uh, things like that value. But anyway, one of my values is, is certainly authenticity. That's very important to me. It's been important to me as we've just talked about for however long we've been on here. It, it developed into becoming one of my main, very important values because of the way that I grew up and the way that I used to think about myself. And I was afraid to be myself. And so when I realized that it feels good to be authentic, Mm -hmm. then I want to, I want to keep going. I mean, I want to be more authentic, you know, I I just, so anyway, that's very important to me and it's important to Taylor. And I think, I hope, as you just said, I think that shows in our episodes because we, we're who we are and and we want to make sure that that, that stays the course no matter what.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't doubt that it will. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up.
1: All right. I
0: want to know, we talked about Southern white male label. Okay. And maybe, I don't know if the word would be emotionally oppressed or no, I would say like, um, just kind of going through the motions, right? Like of like, just what like an unconscious career path, Right.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: What would you say from where you are now to people who maybe do identify with those?
1: Yeah. So the first one you said was what? Southern white man, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of those because there's a lot of white men from the South. (laughs) 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 But no, I mean, I think we use that one because it was I think there's a people that aren't from the South and even some people that are, I think there's a picture that pops up in Mm -hmm. people's minds. And along with that become with along with that comes an attitude perceptively, a belief system, um, an attitude towards certain people, you know? Um, and, and I think that came from a place because a lot of people have had that experience Mm -hmm. and I understand that. I hate that but I understand it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, you're a biracial female. There's some conversations that you haven't heard that I've heard. Mm -hmm. You're a light skinned biracial person. So there's probably conversations you've heard (laughs) that darker skinned people haven't heard. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot more that I've heard that you haven't. Mm -hmm. And that's just the truth about it. I wish that wasn't the case. Um, But there's a, there's a Jason Isbell song and in there he says, um, uh, I'll probably get the lyrics wrong. Cause I have not heard it in a while, but basically says, I'll never pretend to hear another black man joke. And it is just that it's like him hearing things his whole life and not taking action because it's like, Oh, it'd be non-confrontational for me to just let this ride. And sometimes maybe the answer is to let it ride depending on the situation because you can't change people's minds. And I understand that, but, um, but, yeah, I've, I've been a part of a lot of those, and, and I don't agree with it. And so I think it's important for me, I guess for the sake of this podcast, to break that label to say that, like, not all, like, I want to be different than that. I don't want to be that picture that people have in their mind. I want to show that, that that's not necessarily the case. Mm. If they have that had that experience, then, unfortunately, I hate that for them. But that's not every single person that looks like that. I can represent that. Um, and I want to change the narrative. If, if that's the case, if that's the people, the idea that people have, then I want to say like, well, this is the new version of what this can be. This is the progressive version. This is how it can be going forward. Mm -hmm. And can people accept that, that, that we have a rough history in some ways, but also accept that, that that's not all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of great people out there that look like me and that don't look like me. So I don't know if that really answers your question. But, but I do think there's other people that look like me that feel the same way as me, but are afraid to say it mm-hmm. and talk about it because it is a very difficult, but listen, you're easy to talk to Rosanna. <laughs> and also like, I'm pretty comfortable saying stuff that sometimes I may or may not should say. I try to say it tactfully and respectfully. And I think that helps a mm-hmm. huge amount, but it's a difficult conversation. There's some people that I could have this conversation with that just simply wouldn't receive it from me. Mm-hmm. That, that's still the truth. And I get that. And so because of that, a lot of people that look like me may not want to have that conversation. So I would say that try. hmm You know? Mm-hmm. Don't be I don't know, don't be disrespectful about it, right? But like let's let's try to talk about things that are difficult. Is it um what's the guy's name that it's called difficult conversations with Oh, 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 oh Emmanuel Acho. Difficult conversations with Emmanuel Acho. I I want to be that. I want to be the white Southern male emotional, whatever my labels are version of that. Like, I just think we should have more of them and props to him for being able to sit down and have those conversations that are difficult. I want to be that person when and where I can. I think that's super important. And I want people to come to me if they want to talk about it. I want to be that person for them as well, no matter who it is. I love
0: that. You actually, I think, um, did much better justice to that question than how it was asked. So, because afterwards I was like, "Dang, I huh. just threw that at him. I don't even know." Yeah, yeah no, Very that's well good. Handled. Yeah, well handled.
1: Thank you. There was a second part to that, but I can't remember what it was. The
0: conscious uh, career. Oh, the or career Unconscious part. career to conscious career.
1: Yeah, that one. Had, to me, that one's harder. Which probably seems backwards, but to me, that one's harder because I think every situation stands on its own merit mm. for every person, and so. What I would say is, look in the mirror, I think. That's what I would say. I would say, look in the mirror. Evaluate yourself, and you know, once you develop some self-awareness, you start to know. If you start to feel icky over and over and over for a long, long time, maybe you should make a change. If you feel icky one day because you had a rough day at the office, but the rest of them are good, maybe you shouldn't make a change. Mm. But I would say that no matter what, you've got to be true to yourself. If not, it starts to show itself physically, emotionally, in every single way your relationships go south. Um, So, yeah, I think, I mean, again, authenticity, but I think you have to be true to yourself. Look in the mirror. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, you might be ignoring it, but you know, trust yourself.
0: I 1,000% agree. And I also think part of it is in, like, if the only way that you can be okay with what you're doing is to escape it in the hours that you're not doing it, mm. then that's that's probably a clue.
1: Yeah, that'd be a good indicator, I'd say.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming from somebody who lived for that weekend. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but thank you so much. This was I'm so glad that this was this finally happened. All right, tell everybody how they can find you.
1: Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, first, you can find us at The Constant Quest Podcast on anywhere that you consume your podcast. mm mm-hmm. uh, On Instagram, at nicotine, on TikTok, I think the same. My name's Nick Collins with no K, N-I-C. So, <laughs> t- uh, you can typically time. find me on any of those. <laughs> what? what?
0: Accent. I did talk to Texan and put the K, and you immediately you didn't even answer my question. You were like, "Who's Nick?" And I was like, "All right." Well, all I probably right.
1: said that also because you call me Teen, and that's when true. people that call me Teen, which most people do when they call me Nick, I'm like, "Who is Nick?"
0: said, <laughs> please call me Teen.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's my preference. That's fair. You
0: are allowed to have that. Yeah. When well, I'm going to link the 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 Constant Quest podcast and your social media. In the show notes, um, and I hope I hope that people reach out to you I and hope just so let you too. know how much this is going to mean to them because I know it will.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.